Welcome to the Story Forest, original tales for curious and adventurous children. Every night of George's strange half-term, he's waking up in a castle hundreds of years in the past with a challenge to help the mysterious Clara. Things are getting serious, and George has decided to tell his mum everything. Written by Anna Roberts and read by her favourite storyteller in the world, her mother, Pam McNaughton. Launching the letter. George and Mum were up for a long, long time. The whole thing was very hard to explain properly. How was George meant to make his mum believe that he had been travelling back into the past every night of this half-term so far? That he had been living in the very time she was studying in Clarthen Castle, the very place she was studying. Would Mum ever believe that he'd been helping Clara, a girl Mum had been curious about for a long time? That he had helped Clara feed hungry villagers, escape her cruel cousin and rescue a rabbit? But Mum just had to believe him because he needed her help. Now that he had found out that Lord Clarton wanted Clara to marry his horrible son Griffin, George needed all the help he could get. And Mum certainly knew a lot about the Tudor times. So George spoke, the words tumbling out of his mouth, sometimes in the wrong order, as Mum sat on the end of his bed and watched him closely. When he had finally run out of words with a plea for help, she reached her hands towards his. Can I have a look, George? He looked at his hand. It was still clutching the golden goblet. He handed over to her and she started to inspect it, looking at it all around. There was still some drink inside, which George hadn't liked very much. Mum took a sip and then started to shake. When she spoke, her voice was low and hollow. George, she said carefully, do you mean to tell me that I have just drunk some little beer? from Lord Clarthen's feast. George gave a small smile. Yes, Mum. Mum almost screamed. She put the goblet down carefully on the table, then leant over and grabbed George and pulled him to his feet and danced around the room singing a silly made-up tune. And George laughed, feeling the relief bubble out of him. Mum believed him. She was going to help. It was going to be all right. You marvellous, wonderful, strange and terrible boy, she said. And George didn't know what to think. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, but it's too marvellous. I'm going to ask you a million questions. She let him go now and he let out a big yawn. And she changed again into a mum. You must be exhausted, George. You've not had a lot of sleep in the middle of the night from all of this, I'm sure. Go on, go back to sleep and make sure you're not early in the morning. Then we can talk all about it, all day, and come up with something I'm sure we can. She crossed the room and kissed him fiercely on the forehead. I'm very proud of you. You know that, don't you, George? He nodded and she pushed him gently until he lay in the bed again. 
Don't go time travelling on me now, young man. I want to see you in the morning. She left the room and George heard her footsteps tread downstairs and to his surprise he was very soon fast asleep. He didn't travel to the past again that night but woke to mum who very clearly hadn't gone back to sleep herself waiting with a large pile of pancakes. As he chomped his way through them mum asked him questions and he did his best to answer. When he had finished the last bite with the last raspberry, it was his turn. Mum, how can Lord Clarthen be trying to marry off Clara anyway? Surely she's much too young. She's younger than me. Oh, it was very common in those days, Mum said with a frown. Sometimes older children would get married. Sorry. Oh, it was very common in those days, Mum said with a frown. Sometimes children would get married as young as three. They wouldn't be properly married until they were older, but it was a way of making treaties and alliances and so on. And getting people's inheritances. How much older? Twenty? George asked hopefully, but Mum shook her head. Well, sometimes they were married between twelve and fourteen. I'm sorry, George. But I do have an idea. What is it? George asked very quickly. It's Clara's guardian, Mum said in a soft voice. Clara's father established an old friend of his, Lord Fairclough, as Clara's guardian. She didn't go to live with him because he was old and lived very simply. But I'm sure that he would help. George nodded seriously. How can I get to him? Mum frowned. Probably not in a night, but you could send him a letter. George nodded and felt a wave of relief run through him. They had a plan. Surely Clara's guardian would be on their side as soon as he knew how awful Griffin was. Great. Are we going to the castle today? I don't think so, Mum said with a grin. I've booked tickets to a theme park. It was going to be a surprise, though your surprise was bigger. Wow! George went and hugged Mum, filled with excitement. And then they got ready and went and had a day filled with rides and more rides and lots and lots of fun. And in between, Mum asked George about every detail of Clarthen Castle in the past and gave him so much advice about how he should act when he was back there that there was absolutely no way he was going to remember it all. Then they came back home, sleepy and worn out, had beans on toast, and then George went to bed, the important details now buzzing in his mind. Lord Fairclough, Guardian, a letter. He woke in the castle, in the room he had woken up in on the first day. Morning light came through the window. He got up, put clothes on and went into the corridor. Waiting outside his room, looking pale and quiet, was Clara. Good morning, she said quickly. It's the morning after the feast. Most people are still asleep. They were up all night, drinking. Her face crumpled. And celebrating my engagement, George. We have to stop it, I know. He spoke seriously, I know. 
but I've got an idea. I told my mum all about you, though she knows some things already, and she thought of a plan. He explained it to Clara, as well as some things about his mum. As Clara understood the plan, she brightened considerably. Of course, Lord Fairclough would listen to me. He might even come and rescue me. She looked hopeful. Now George frowned. Um, So is there a postbox or something? Clara gave him a blank look. Um, It's a box you put letters in. Then a postman comes and picks them up and then they sort them all so they go to the right places. I'm going to guess no, he finished. How clever! No, we have to send a messenger on a horse, she frowned, which may be a problem. Let's go and see if Sir Thomas has any good ideas, George said, determined to make this work. Clara agreed and they walked through the castle, which was quiet apart from the odd sleepy sound from different rooms. Obviously people were still recovering from the party. They got to the priest's rooms and George knocked on the door. Sir Thomas opened it moments later. Come in, he said, and led them inside. They sat at a table and he made them some tea using a kettle over the fire. You must be very shocked, Clara. He spoke gently and slowly. I didn't know your uncle was planning this. I'm sorry. We have a plan, Clara said. And George could tell she was speaking quickly so that she didn't cry. We need to write to Lord Fairclough, my guardian. My father didn't trust Lord Clarthen and obviously he was right. I'm sure that Lord Fairclough will stop this when I tell him I don't want to be married to... that I don't want to get married. But we don't know how to get the letter to him, George said, and I have no idea how it all works. What do you think? The priest furrowed his brow and stared into the fire. It's not an easy thing. I have a suspicion that Lord Clarthen keeps a close eye on any communications going in or out of the castle. And I do not know anyone who I could trust to keep the secret. It would endanger them too. (sighs) Just then there was a knock on the door. And then Lord Clarthen himself burst into the room, red in the face already. He looked from Clara to the priest, completely missing George. Ah, well, good. You're both here. Let's put a date in for the wedding, eh? No point waiting around, is there? I don't want to marry Griffin, Uncle. Clara spoke clearly and crisply. He is horrible. Lord Clarthen frowned. No need for that, Clara. You'll get on well enough. We will not. I will not marry him, Lord Clarthen. Perhaps, sir, the priest started to say, and then Lord Clarthen's face suddenly flushed redder and angrier. You will marry Griffin, Clara. You have no choice in the matter, and you will marry him soon. I want to send out invitations You don't have anyone to invite other than Fairclough, do you? He's delighted to be rid of you. We'll do it in two months' time. And then he was gone. He already asked, my guardian, Clara said in a small voice. 
We shall have to write a very convincing letter, Sir Thomas said, and then after a pause, and he will have to find another priest. I won't do it. They all took a sip of tea. Then Sir Thomas spoke again, thoughtfully. A fishing boat goes past the Castle Bay every evening to take fish to a village nearby, Thorbury. I know the priest there. If we can get a letter to the boat, he could take it to the priest and he could get it to Lord Fairclough. He gave a deep sigh. It's risky, but it's the only thing I can think of. There was a silence. Right, George said finally. So we need a letter and a boat. And some money, Clara said, to pay whoever it is to take the letter. Yes, the priest said. I have just enough, I think. Thank you, Clara said in a small voice. I will repay you one day. What about a boat, George said. Could we borrow one from the villagers? You'll have to, Sir Thomas said, and they spent a few more minutes making plans and planning what the letter should say. Then Clara and George left for the village. They went via the kitchen, picking up some hot bread to eat for their breakfast on the way. As they walked over the drawbridge, George was trying to explain roller coasters to Clara, but she was finding it very difficult to get her head around why anyone would ever want to go on one. They got to the village, where everyone was busy working, and Clara walked over to a house and called inside. Mrs Sutton? A woman came out with a baby on her hip. George recognised her from when they had come to the village before. She smiled at Clara. George realised she and the other villagers looked healthier than they had on his last visit, no doubt because Clara and Sir Thomas were sneaking food to them out of the castle kitchen. Hello, Clara. What can I help you with, child? Clara explained, and when she said she was engaged, the woman gasped, then pressed her lips together. Clara kept going. So we're wondering if we could borrow a boat this evening. Clara looked anxious. Of course, Mrs Sutton said, though she frowned. We'll have to work it out, but I'm sure we can spare a fishing boat. It was eventually sorted. Mr Sutton would leave the boat on the beach landing where they usually passed over the food. Good luck, Mrs Sutton said urgently. I'll be praying for you. Clara smiled and thanked her. Then they went back to the castle to find Sir Thomas, where they worked together on the letter until they decided it was perfect. When it was ready, there was nothing to do but wait. Clara and George got some more food then climbed up onto the castle roof again and talked. Clara asked more questions about the future and then about George's mum. Then it was afternoon and it was getting darker. They went to see the priest. They got some food and Clara changed into more practical clothes and they went to see Sir Thomas again. George had just slipped the letter into his pocket when the door burst open and it was Lord Clarthen again, now dressed in bright coloured clothes. Clara, Sir Thomas, I expect you at the feast this evening to entertain our guests. No skipping, it wouldn't look right. And then he was gone. Clara, Sir Thomas and George looked at each other. 
It looked as though George was going to have to take the boat out on his own. The other two had to get ready for the feast. George suddenly felt sick and had to sit down while Sir Thomas told him how to row. George had done it before, but only a couple of times, and never in the darkness, on the sea, on his own. Keep the tower in the centre of your vision, then you won't miss the boat, and you'll be able to come back in. It won't be too rough tonight. Clara returned to the room and pressed something into George's hands. It was his torch, and he nodded gratefully. The others went to the feast and George went down to the beach. The boat was there, but Mr Sutton wasn't. George had hoped the man might have helped him or even come with him. But George was completely on his own now. He took a deep breath. He checked the letter was in his pocket. Then he put one foot inside the boat, which wobbled alarmingly, and then pushed off with the other foot. The boat set off into the water and George managed to sit down a little precariously. Wishing he had done it before pushing off, he took the oars and got them into the right position. And then he started to row. It was hard work and after a couple of minutes George realised that even after all this effort he had just gone round in circles. His heart began to beat faster. He just couldn't miss meeting the fishing boat. He grunted, then looked at what he was doing, trying to even out his stroke. The sky was dark, but a little moonlight from behind a cloud glinted on the water. As George rowed, making very gradual progress along the side of the moat and towards the sea, the clouds moved and the moon shone overhead. It was cold. It was very cold. And George was already rather wet from his inexpert rowing and water coming up over the side of the boat. He shivered and put his back into rowing all the more. And slowly he made progress, looking over his shoulder to see the silhouette of the castle starting to move behind him. And gradually he passed out into the open sea. He rowed a little way and then waited, occasionally repositioning himself when he felt himself drifting. After a little while, he took out his torch and began to shine it across the waters. Had he missed the fishing boat? Was it not coming tonight? George sat, shivered and wondered miserably. How long should he wait? It felt like a very, very long time. But eventually, his torch shone on something other than water. At first, he wasn't sure if he had imagined it, but soon it was getting bigger. As it approached, George felt all his panic and fear rise in him, and he stood up and started to shout as loudly as he could, waving the torch through the air as he did. Please, I've got something for you. Please come here. It's very important. Stop! When he finally paused for breath, he heard a voice. I'm coming. Calm down, you'll capsize. George noticed then that his boat was rocking wildly. He sat down and tried to steady it, and a hand appeared from the darkness and helped. The other boat was alongside his. A man whose hand it was looked at him. He had a kind, weathered face. Please, 
George was still catching his breath. Please, I have a letter and a parcel and I need you to take them to the priest in Thorbury, please. The fisherman looked at him closely. This must be an important kind of letter, one you'll not be wanting someone to see. George didn't say anything. How much have you got for me? Having no idea if it was enough, George held out a hand with five coins on it. The fisherman looked at it, and then at George's other hand. For those, and your light stick, I will take it. George looked at his other hand, and realised the man meant his torch. He bit his lip, and ignoring all thoughts of how he was going to get back across the sea without it, he handed everything over. The man held the torch reverently, and George showed him the button. The man laughed out loud. I think you must be a sprite boy, or a mermaid, but I'll thank you and keep on. Good luck, lad. He nodded, and then started out across the sea, leaving George alone on the waves. George shivered and took the oars. And then the clouds gathered together, and he couldn't see a thing, and he was alone in the sea. He was starting to panic when the world seemed to swirl again and more all around him and he realised he was travelling back home. He tried to cling to the sides of the boat, realising that it was going to be lost at sea, but everything began to fade. When George woke up, he was warm and dry and clinging tightly to the edges of his bed. He breathed deeply. He heard a creak and Mum came in, holding a candle, with a question on her face. George grinned at her. We did it! We sent the letter! Maybe now Clara would be safe. The End Thanks for listening. Next week George and Clara have more adventures as Lord Clarthen finds out what they've been up to.